Hello and welcome to another edition of Pathfinders, the podcast series from RBC Capital Markets that explores the fast-moving world of biotech and healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Coletti, and I'm here today with RBC Capital Markets biotechnology analyst Gregory Renza to talk about the exciting spate of M&A activity that we're seeing in the space and what it might mean for valuations and the sector in the next 12 months. Greg, great to have you here today. Thanks, Joe, for having me. So I want to start with an easy one. I want you to give our listeners a, a little bit more a sense of your own kind of background, where you're coming from, and maybe maybe talk a little bit about your coverage of the sector. That sounds great. And it's great to be here, Joe. We appreciate you having us today. Yeah, before we get started, uh, so we are part of a, a nicely established and growing biotechnology equity research platform here at RBC Capital Markets. We, we cover a vast array of stocks, companies, and stories from large all the way down to mid-cap uh, companies. I've been part of equity research for just about 10 years now. And, and prior to my involvement in equities, I have experience in corporate development, management consulting, as well as healthcare science and, and medicine. It's a nice intersection to look at innovation and finance. I think that's really one of the important things to underscore is, is the type of background you have and other members of the team have is pretty critical, you know, particularly as the space has grown and matured and changed you know, over the last decade plus. And, and it's something that we've talked about with, with many of our other guests on here. So let's dive right into the M&A discussion. We've seen a number of big M&A announcements in the biopharm space. We saw some last year, Pfizer, GBT, Amgen, Horizon. But we've seen a lot the, so far in the first half of this year from GSK and Bellis to Merck and Prometheus, even Sanofi and Prevention and Pfizer and CGen. What's driving this latest wave of M&A? Yeah, absolutely. And, and certainly coming into 2023, investors have been bullish on M&A and have viewed this as one of the biggest tailwinds over this year. And we're starting to see that play out. So we continue to hold an optimistic stance on M&A over 2023. And as large biopharma does sit on all-time high balance sheets, those patent cliffs that have loomed, those have not gone away. And actually the policy clarity has improved. So we have believed that this could help expand that momentum into this mid-cap space more broadly. And some recent trends certainly speak to that. Now, we've certainly seen this M&A appetite among these large pharmas, and we think this will help to start getting better pull-through from companies who are also advancing their programs and even reporting positive trial results. So we know that not all deals are created equal, and there's a lot of unique you know, reasons for some of these deals, but I wanted to focus in on a couple of the really massive deals in the space. You know, for example, the announcement by Pfizer of their $43 billion acquisition of CGen and Amgen's $27.8 billion acquisition of Horizon. Are we going to see more of these real big ticket acquisitions in the next, you know, six to 18 months? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point. And in some cases, we focus on deal volume as well as deal size. And it's not necessarily about the about that price tag. It can more be about the technology and the strategy and how it feeds into the broader players and competition across the sector. So yes, Big Pharma is looking to bolt on new innovations to existing treatment areas, also looking to expand into new areas by targeting acquisitions that may not actually fit or be more of a logical choice. So this creates actually a, a, a landscape of competition and a landscape of great interest that can drive sort of a rising tide lifts all boats. We view the past transactions, whether they're large or small, as validation, not just for those individual company efforts that are being acquired or that are advancing assets and portfolios, but also 
as validation across the sector. So several other peers across therapeutic areas, across interesting or comparable stages, as well as assets that show signals of strategic or blockbuster potential. And I think given the compelling character and competitiveness of the narratives that we read, not just when deals happen, but as we understand how deals come together, there's actually a potential for more players through partnership and purchase that make these activities far more interesting. And as a result, we do see more strong and sustainable read-throughs to the sector, again, not just for specific companies or peers, but also for the larger subset of companies in general. So you made a lot of really important points there. And maybe, you know, to dovetail off of that, maybe we look a little bit more at the Pfizer CGEN deal, you know, which which I know is a particularly eventful acquisition and may offer a bit more of a view into sort of the portfolio opportunity and platform value of CGEN itself. How do you think investors and sort of the broader market at large are reacting to that announced deal? Yeah, it's been an interesting development over the last year, certainly some ups and downs, not just for CGEN specifically, but also for this sector. We've digested some proceedings of interest, um, some discussions on price and value for assets, and certainly the ability for folks to pull a trigger in the backdrop of not just the fundamentals of the sector themselves, but also a more uncertain macro environment, whether it actually is in consideration of a return to normalcy post-COVID or an understanding of how new policy and pricing measures that are coming down from the government could actually affect out-year views on, on drugs and innovation. I think at the end of the day, we do recognize that there is a scarcity of high-quality assets that have been proven and tested similar to CIGEN's technologies. Uh, that tells a, a nice story for not just the acquirers who are looking, but also for those who have comparable technologies as well as those that have adjacent ones. Also, the acquisition interest that came not just from other players aside from Pfizer did show that strategic collaboration is also an important uh, precursor to when it comes to outright ownership of assets and companies. Essentially, the, the back and forth, the interplay between the competitors vying for assets does actually suggest that when one is the ultimate winner and is able to actually acquire the company, there are others who are, who are around the hoop. I also think that there are large ambitions for innovators to tackle massive health issues. That is the battle against cancer, its complexity and heterogeneity. Maybe a, a company that wants to help and find representation of key treatments for rare diseases or underserved diseases. There's certainly a high appetite for managing chronic diseases and also providing prevention for chronic diseases. And this can all sort of help to understand the, the value of not just what needs to be addressed today in the healthcare system, but also in the future. So much of what you said in your answer really speaks to the drive for innovation in this space and how that drive is going to continue to evolve year over year. Continuing on, the, on this thread on M&A, if we think about sort of GSK's acquisition of Bellis, for example, I, I realize it's not as large as some of the other deals that, that we mentioned earlier, but what's unique about this one? What do you think was kind of driving this deal? Yeah, I think what's interesting about the GSK Bellis tie-up and GSK's acquisition for Bellis recently and earlier this year is really a, about the attractiveness of a market that has yet to be defined. Kronikoff is an unproven market. And while we've seen appetite for M&A and, and strategic interest from players around rare disease in small markets or interest in larger markets, commercial portfolios, 
even in the development stages, what's unique about this acquisition is certainly the, the market has yet to be defined. And while Bellis did provide and is, will be supplying GSK with a late stage asset, we're talking about one that still needs some work and still needs to be built. And I think that that bodes well for the innovation that we look for, not just with existing and diseases that we understand, but also with new approaches and finding areas of unmet need where the infrastructure is not established, but the data is there. The other interesting piece about the GSK acquisition, it certainly adds some competitive jockeying between now GSK and Merck in this chronic cough space. And with respect to Bellis, despite several setbacks on their program over the last several years, we actually have seen some smart drug development, their ability to actually realize value and provide attractiveness, not just for the end markets with patients ultimately, but also with strategic acquirers. I also think that there's a narrative occurring certainly in the US, but also ex-US, the strategy for European big farmers to grab smaller firms, such as with what AstraZeneca did with Syncor, as well as Sanofi with Prevention Bio. And I think GSK's strategy in the last few years has been well-focused on late-stage programs that are close to market. So we're seeing some narratives play out here. So if we you know, take a step back and look across this landscape and we look at all these type of deals, do you have a good sense or a read on the types of companies that you think may be you know, more attractive targets you know, going forward or how large pharmas might be what they might be looking for more specifically in sort of a, a next wave of potential acquisitions? Yeah, there are so many areas of interest from investors, so many areas of interest for large biopharma. I think some of those areas are, are established in the companies that we and others track for sure. The areas of complexity uh, within oncology, I think, continue to remain interesting. And while we saw Siagen certainly represent that with an established portfolio as well as their pipeline, I think there's more room to run there. Also, the greater understanding of our immune system is also driving this. So while we have acquirer interest on many of these settings and environments, we also have to respect the pace of innovation on our understanding of the human body, pathophysiology, as well as targets and differences that some of these drugs can make. In, in addition, as we focus on some psychosocial factors in society and to think about the wave of innovation across neurology, maybe some environmental factors when it comes to cardiometabolic areas that have been drawing interest. And just let's not forget the other factors of the industry when it comes to reasonable policy, when it comes to flexible regulatory proceedings, all of those really help and point to synergizing across not just a pace of drug development, but a pace of drug development to get to a point where value can be extracted and also accelerated from some of the strategic activity. So staying at this sort of broader view on the impact of M&A for a second, how do you see it impacting valuations, I guess, more specifically? Are you seeing a change now? Do you think that may shift or change more as we get into sort of the second half of the year? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to say. And I think um, the question always becomes, have we reached a tipping point for M&A? and with respect to the perceptions on SMIDCAP biotech. Uh, we tend to think about the strategic activity as a pendulum, and certainly that momentum can swing back and forth. And in many respects, the investor does not want to miss when it's heating up, nor do they, <laughs> do they want to chase as well when it's slowing down. So that momentum and that pendulum can really dictate how one feels about the activity. However, as the actual deals play out, as the strategic interactions uh, come to bear, it's important to ride that wave and be opportunistic. 
Um, there, there may still be a number, though, of riskier early stage stories that have gone public in recent years that have had some setbacks that could have weighed on the XBI. But also what makes it interesting is their programs continue to advance as they look for funds and put their funds to work. So there could be other inflection points on the horizon that help to attract this interest. And it's not just about data deserts. It's not just about lulls and data activity. We're starting to see more readouts and the markets maybe behave more fundamentally. That is good data can be getting rewarded. And on the flip side, data that might be mixed or uncertain or even negative, we would be seeing funds steer away from those because they're just not providing that conviction. I think there have been enough positive catalysts and M&A activity of late that should help Smoothicaps appreciate and bring biopharma to the forefront of investors' minds. I also think that we're in a fortunate position where these large global players are also well-organized around these therapeutic areas and around these innovations. They are staying attuned to this evolving landscape in such a way that when science and value are proven, they're ready to step up, deploy their resources, and help to potentiate that opportunity. So final question on the M&A front, and maybe this is, you know, you've talked a little bit about looking forward. Is there anything else that you want to touch on about what we can expect from M&A moving forward and whether it will also continue or pick up from its current pace? Yeah, that's the billion dollar question. And deal making has always been intrinsic in drug development. And in some ways, these deals are as important as the scientific breakthroughs in bringing drugs to market. It's difficult to predict, however, because as the state of innovation remains strong over this year, through the decade and beyond, we do know that an intrinsic part of value creation in this sector remains that M&A activity, in addition to compelling data and the ability to make a difference for patients. So this need for strategic activity, whether it's through partnerships, mergers, or acquisitions across the sector, does help to define that understanding that we are making the right decisions with how we deploy funds and capital. Big pharma does have the clout to get drugs through approval and onto market, while small pharma does have that nimble nature and an innovative culture that helps them focus on new avenues of research. And while 2021 and early 22 were perhaps quieter on the M&A front, we do see hints of this starting to change. And there are a great deal of potentials, and there are several potential mid-cap and small-cap biotechs out there. One thing never to overlook with these deals is how the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, of course, views acquisitions and consolidation. As more come across and reach the headlines, it's fair to expect antitrust to understandably enter the equation. And with these larger deals, we're seeing just that. So for this year, it will be critical to watch how FTC proceedings for Amgen for Horizon, Pfizer for Seagen, and all the others play out from this standpoint. After all, this is a sector, an ecosystem that advances with external innovation and deal flow. Antitrust is always on our minds, but today it's more important than ever and a great topic for next time. And to your question on will this reach a tipping point? Looking to our RBC Global Healthcare Conference, what comes in and out of that experience is really around building on our insights and expanding on this narrative. We hear from so many stakeholders, difference makers, and leaders in the field who have been there and been a part of these key deals of recent past and last year that have shaped where we are today. The former CEO of Global Blood Therapeutics, taken out by Pfizer, of course, the former Syncor CEO bought by AstraZeneca, and the CBO of Nimbus, who was behind one of the largest single asset purchases in the span of biotech, thanks to Takeda, all have important views that add to the narrative in our analysis. So keep your eyes and ears out for that. 
thank you, Greg. This has been a really excellent conversation around M&A, which, as I said, is certainly one of our favorite topics on the podcast and a popular one with our listeners. Thanks, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Pathfinders in Biopharma, brought to you by RBC Capital Markets. This episode was recorded on May 4th, 2023. If you'd like to learn more or continue the conversation, please contact us directly or visit rbccm.com forward slash biopharma. If you're enjoying Pathfinders in Biopharma, don't miss an episode. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you all next time. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.